Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. Scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Matthew chapter 21. Verses 1 through 17. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Following the reading, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed in your bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. A number of years ago, in 2000. In 2007, I had the privilege of meeting the President of the United States. One of my college roommates, his father was a mayor of a subdivision of Albuquerque, and the President was doing a fundraising event in Albuquerque. And I remember the motorcade, I got to watch the the presidential motorcade coming down the street, I got to see the helicopters flying overhead and the Secret Service agents. Uh, I I got to witness the crowds uh, with all the expectation and eager anticipation of meeting a sitting president. The reason that I use that illustration is because in this passage, Jesus makes a very big entrance. 
It's unusual for his ministry. He had been doing ministry for a number of years, and typically, or often, when he performed uh, some great sign, he would say, don't tell anyone that I've done this. Uh, or he would, uh, someone would confess him as a Christ, and he would say something like, don't tell anyone. But here, he is promoting himself. He knows exactly uh, where this donkey is. He knows where the owner is. He knows what to say uh, to tell to, for people to say in order to get the donkey. Uh, and there are three different parts that I want us to consider in this passage. So first is Jesus' unusual reputation at the time. Second, the unusual events of this passage. And thirdly, the unusual way that this story ends. So his unusual reputation, the unusual events, and the unusual way that the story ends. So first, what was Jesus' unusual reputation at this moment in his ministry? He had been doing ministry for a number of years at this point. He had gained a reputation of someone who would do miracles. Now, those miracles would have been just as unordinary and unusual in our day as it would have been back then. So if we were at the grocery store or we're walking our neighborhood and someone came up to us and said that someone had just received sight who was blind or someone who was, that was dead has now just been raised to life, we'd be very skeptical, at least I would be. Yet here was this, this man who everyone was talking about. It says in our passage that uh, the whole city, in verse 10, it says the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? He had not only done miracles, but he had also cast out demons. There was an incident in which two men came out of tombs who were demon-possessed, and he cast them into some pigs. He, not very long before this in Matthew, he healed two blind men outside of Jericho. John tells us in John chapter 12 that the reason why the crowd went out to meet Jesus was that they heard that he had done this sign. And what he's talking about is Jesus had raised someone from the dead. The Pharisees said to one another, look, the world has gone after him. On top of all of that, Jesus is now coming into Jerusalem. This is God's city. When they ask people, uh, who is this? The crowds say in our passage in verse 11, this is the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. But the expectations surrounding him at this moment and all of the things that are said indicate that people are starting to think he's more than just a prophet. If you consider what they're saying, they're saying, Hosanna. That word is taken from Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. One of the commentators uh, that I read said that Hosanna was a nationalistic term. So perhaps it had some political uh, connotations. They're also saying that he is the son of David. And David was not a prophet. David was a king. So 
it seems to be that the people are having all kinds of messianic expectations of who Jesus is. In the ancient world, if a, if a general or a leader conquered a major city, he would often go into that city in a triumphant procession on a, on a steed, a great horse, a stallion, or a chariot. Sometimes they would go into a temple or a cultural artifact. Sometimes they would even desecrate it. Not very long ago in the Jewish memory, there was a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes who went into the temple, the Jewish temple, and offered pig's flesh to Zeus on the altar. This was in, this was in the Jewish memory at this point. One of the commentators that I read um, He said this, the occasion of Jesus' entry had strong links with the Maccabean feast of the rededication of the temple after it had been desecrated. This was an important festival celebrating, as it did, the shaking off of the invaders' yoke through the wonderfully successful Maccabean uprising. The temple was, in fact, rededicated in 164 B.C., three years to the day after Antiochus defiled it. This was the time when the pagan yoke had been broken, and this would be the time when the son of David would come and set them free. People have great expectations at this moment when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. They may have even been thinking of Psalm 24, verse 8, who says, that says, Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Now, it, it's easy to, in hindsight to to see, several thousand years later, all of the wrong expectations of the people concerning Jesus. But consider this. I I wonder, in my own life, do I always have the right expectations of what God would promise to me? I mean, am I not sometimes expecting from God something that He hasn't promised in Scripture? It's easy to have those expectations. Perhaps you're wanting a, uh, a new job. Perhaps you're wanting, wanting a pay raise, a, a promotion. Perhaps you're wanting to be married. Perhaps you're wanting to have children. There's all kinds of things we desire and want and sometimes even begin to expect that God would do for us. But as great as those things are, none of them are promised to us. So here was the reputation of Jesus. He had an unusual reputation, high expectations. People were thinking he was going to be the king who would come and deliver them from the the yoke of the Romans. But let's also consider the unusual events of the passage. It's very unusual that the Romans aren't aren't feeling afraid of Jesus. They're not saying anything about it. They don't think they thought it was a big deal didn't think that Jesus was a threat. Also, Jesus rides a donkey, not a stallion. The book of Luke tells us that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he wasn't entering himself shouting or with a speech of victory, but rather he was weeping. Jesus was weeping as he entered into Jerusalem. The Old Testament prophecy that's quoted here from the book of Zechariah 
Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is a, a, a prophecy where you actually see two prophetic strands coming together. There was one prophetic strand of the Old Testament that said there would be a king in the line of David who would come and restore the fortunes of, of Israel, restore the fortunes of God's people, and he would come in great victory and power. But there was another prophetic strand of a suffering servant who would come to bear the iniquities of the people. What you see here are both of these things. Here's a king who's coming, but he's humble. He's riding on a donkey. Antiochus or Napoleon or Alexander the Great, they would have never ridden a donkey. And it shows that Jesus, his power and might would not be exercised in the way of those great dictators and rulers. His kingdom would come through weakness. His kingdom would come through suffering. He would be a king who would come not to take from people, but to give. Here's another unusual event that happens. Usually when people come to Jerusalem, if they are a great ruler, they may desecrate the temple, but that doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't desecrate the temple. If they're just an ordinary person, then they will offer sacrifices. But Jesus does not offer any sacrifice. That's unusual. There is actually a debate about how many times Jesus cleansed the temple. If you, uh, John uses this cleansing of the temple. He introduces John chapter 2 with this, uh, with this episode. He might, Jesus might have cleansed it twice, but the point I want us to consider is that in John 2, Jesus actually makes a whip of cords. He runs out the money changers of the temple. This is one of the only times in Scripture that I'm aware of that Jesus uses force. Very unusual. Why does he do that? And there are two reasons. First, there was theft or extortion that was happening. When people came to Jerusalem, they often traveled tens of miles, maybe more. They came and they were going specifically to offer a sacrifice in the temple. They often did not bring with them their own sacrifice. They would buy a dove or uh, a lamb. But there was only one place to buy it here. The people who were selling it were selling it for, say, 10 times. We're not told. Maybe 100 times. Who knows? The normal going rate for an animal. There was extortion. Stealing. But in addition to that, the money changers were meeting where the Gentiles were supposed to be worshiping. The temple was composed of different courts, or you might say boxes inside of boxes. There was, on the the outer court, a place where teachers could teach and people could gather. But inside of that was the box or court of the Gentiles where they were to worship. Inside of that was the place where Jewish women could go, and inside of that, Jewish men, and inside of that, only the priests could go, and inside of that, only the, the high priest, and only once a year, into the Holy of Holies. 
But imagine if I segregated you according to different um, either features, maybe your hair color. If I said everyone who has blonde hair has to sit in the back uh, with a number of animals, with, with smelly, stinky animals, and there's going to be changing of money happening, you would say, this is ridiculous. What kind of church is this? This is a, this is a place of worship. That's what was happening. The quotation that Jesus takes from Jeremiah chapter 7, let me, let me read you another verse in Jeremiah chapter 7. And before I do, it seemed to be that the attitude of the money changers and the people in power was, well, this is the temple, we can do what we want in the temple. But here's what Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 4 says, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Verse 11, has this house which has been called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Here is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, coming into his very own house. He sees the injustice. He sees exactly what's happening, and he says, this is an outrage. Rightly so. Rightly so. In addition to that, he does something else very unusual, which is a big no-no. In verse 14, if you, if you look at verse 14, it says that the blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple, and he healed them. Were the, were the blind and the lame supposed to be in the temple? No. These were people who were unclean. The law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 21 said that they were unclean, or 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8. The blind and the lame were unclean. When the chief priests and the scribes, verse 15, see what is happening and the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they're indignant. And they say, don't you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says, of course. You never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have prepared praise. The Pharisees are thinking, how dare you allow these people into this holy place? Jesus is saying, how dare you keep these people out? In fact, the, the whole point of the temple, you might say, was to draw people in to the true worship of God who were unclean, that there would be a way that they could be made clean in order to offer sacrifices, in order to come to the Lord. Isaiah 56 says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Verse 6, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus is saying the original intention and design was that this would be a house for all peoples. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. 
Come to me, all who are unclean, who are blind, who are lame, and I will make you clean. Isn't it interesting that uh, normally in Jewish law, if an unclean person touched someone who was clean, that clean person would become unclean. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. Jesus goes around, and when he touches people, they become clean. He doesn't become unclean. Those are the unusual events, the unusual entry into Jerusalem, the unusual way he does not offer sacrifices, the unusual way that he's driving out the temple, uh, the money changers in the temple. So what's the unusual way that this story ends? It ends in this way, that Jesus did not offer sacrifices because he was the sacrifice. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem marked the beginning of his humiliation. He would shatter the expectations of everyone around him, including his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to be killed, his disciple, Peter rebukes him and says, far be it from you, this will never happen. Many people who were crying Hosanna that, that day, later on in the week, when Jesus did not meet their expectations, they would be the ones to shout, crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus did not offer sacrifices because he was to be the sacrifice. He did not come with military might in order to be served, but rather he came to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. He came so that you and I, who are unclean, through faith in him, would be allowed to come into his presence because of the cross. He came to take the wrath of God upon himself and to pay the penalty of our sin. That's what he was coming to do. Hebrews chapter 2 says that it was fitting that Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is the way of the cross. This is the way that this king of all kings comes to do something far greater than what we could have imagined. In paying the penalty of our sins. Let me leave you with a few implications of the text. First, you must accept the words of the Lord if you are to find comfort. Many people wanted to come see the spectacle. They wanted to see the signs that Jesus was doing, the miracles. But they weren't really interested in listening to Jesus or sitting at his feet, following him unto death. If you are to find comfort and hope, then you must sit at his feet. This unusual king now rules and reigns in a very usual way, and that's through the word of God. We have his words. We have his very words that he spoke. This is the way that he rules and reigns today. And if you want to have the benefit of what Christ has done, you have to come to him in the usual way, through the word.
Second, do not despise the Lord when he shatters your expectations of your life, what you thought it would be. Certainly, people's political expectations in that day were shattered. The Lord has not promised us many of the things that we desire and expect in this life. He's not up to those things. He's not in the business of accomplishing the things that we desire in our flesh. But rather, he's conforming us to the image of his son by means of the cross. Be willing to follow the Lord Jesus, even when your expectations of life get shattered. Finally, all of those who desire to worship the Lord must come to God through Jesus and be willing to be exposed in their sinful condition. Be willing for the Lord through his word to expose your sin. We're not any better than the money changers in the temple. We're not any better, ultimately, than the Pharisees. We, too, are made of the same flesh and bone. I'm always a little bit uneasy when we read passages and we find ourselves thinking, those people were crazy, what were they thinking? Because, honestly, without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, too, would be doing the same things. We are just as unclean as the uh, the lame and the blind. My prayer and hope is that you would submit your desires, your expectations, your life to the Lord, to follow him according to his word, follow him according to what he has promised, and be willing to embrace the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you and praise you that you have accomplished for us a great redemption. You have accomplished for us a great salvation. We confess before you that we often desire all of the earthly, fleshly things of this world. And we pray that you would humble us, that you would make us more like Christ who came not to be served, but to serve. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort us by his shed shed blood on the cross. We pray, too, and thank you for his atoning work. Make us more like him, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.